I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, this will be actually my second interview of the day that I'm conducting today, and it's uh, November, I think, 16th. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really going to do much of an introduction because I don't really have anything new to talk about. I will say we finally got some snow in the valley in Salt Lake last night. Oh, it's melting off rapidly. I'm sure we got some up in the mountains, but not that much. It seemed to drop the snow right at the mountains, and I'm hearing there wasn't much dropped up at the cabin, so up on the other side of the Wasatch Front. It's called the Wasatch Back or the Uinta Mountains. But anyway, today I'm going to be uh, conducting, like I say, my second interview, and what I'm doing with these interviews, I'm I'm really not editing them like I have in the past because it just takes so much time. I mean, think about it. I listen. I, I arrange an interview, which can take an hour or two of emailing back and forth with somebody to arrange the interview. Then I record the interview. Then I have to listen to the interview again, which is going to take about two or three times the length of the actual interview to do all the editing on. Then I have to do my ID3 tags, and I have to upload it. Then I have to do the post. It just starts taking a long time. So I'm probably going to start um, maybe not totally not editing the interview, but um, not worrying about my ums and ahs like I have in the past. So I'm going to be talking with Jack Andrews. Jack has spent the summer sailing, buying a new boat, or a used boat, buying a boat, and sailing from, I think, Slovenia all the way down the Croatian coast, down to Montenegro. And he sits in Sicily right now. Before we get on to that interview, my quick advertisement. Listen, if you want to learn to sail, get out there and get on a boat. But before you do that, at least learn the terminology and the maneuvers of a boat. Do a little bit of studying ahead of time so when you get on a boat... It's not all <laughs> Greek to you. You can do that by studying books, which I recommend. Also, if you want to listen to some of my audio courses, that will help as well. My audio courses are designed so that you can try to visualize it in your mind, what I'm talking about. I try to be very verbally descriptive in what I discuss. Now, if you want to sign up for my newsletter... You can get eight of the 16 lessons for my first series of audio lessons for the basic keelboat certification for free. So let me recommend that you do that. Other than that, best thing to do, get on a boat. 
and get out there and get on the water. All right, let's talk to Jack now. All right, Jack, the recorder's going, and I'm making sure the recorder's going so I don't talk to you for 40 minutes and then realize I don't have any audio. So we're good. Let's talk. All right. <laughs> oh, good. Excellent. So um, I hear that your hunting didn't go very well this uh, year. It was a bad year. What happened is, I mean, I, was, I spotted probably at least 20 elk on our property or within shooting range of our property uh, the day before the elk season opened, and uh, a big five-point bull elk was within 50 yards of me when I just actually drove my truck up to the bench where I where I hunt. And and then next morning, the season opened, and it warmed up, and the elk disappeared. I saw one elk the entire, mm. <laughs> the entire uh, hunt. But, oh well, <laughs> next year's another year. And, and of course, yesterday I, uh, oh no, was, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Yesterday I drove up to the uh, the summer home, and uh, then driving back down, I saw a big uh, four-point buck deer, mule deer, uh, right down on the flats. And, of course, during the buck season, I, I did see one small spike, but I didn't shoot it. And uh, this one was nowhere to be seen during the uh, during the deer hunt. So, no, I was skunked this year. I didn't even see any, any duffy grouse really around. Uh-huh. So it's been a bad hunting year for me this year, but that's all right. Let's talk about sailing. Let's talk about something more fun. Well, well, that's it. And so based on sailing this year, I think you've probably done uh, not as much sailing this year as the previous year, maybe. No, I didn't do anywhere near as much. And the reason was uh, my my summer home, the plans to build the summer home. So I knew I really didn't have the time to take off two months this year because because I I can't build a a 2,000-square-foot addition to my house and and go sailing at the same time so i gave up sailing i went sailing with neil and that was fantastic but that was really about the only sailing i did last summer so i I guess i really have to sort of take myself out of the uh, realm of being a real sailor now right for for a little while (laughs) that's right you can talk about it instead (laughs) but you 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 put me to shame this year you're living the dream you uh so talk talk me through it all right, so I think the last time we spoke, we were talking about buying the boat still and uh, leaving Seattle and heading off. Um, and, it, you know, we initially didn't know whether we were going to buy the boat in Florida, um, you know, drive through <clears throat> down to Florida and head off from Florida and down to the Caribbean from there. But um, <clears throat> when I was looking at prices on boats, I found that all the boats in the Med – and particularly for the type of boat that we're after, we're, you know, we're after a day sailor, um, not an ocean crossing vessel. Though you know, day sailor boats cross oceans all the time, but we're after a day sailor with multiple cabins, so that each kid could have a cabin. Which meant that, you know, we'd probably forego the master bedroom type setup in a in a boat that's an owner version, as you as you would sort of call it. Um, so we're fine with that. Um, we wanted multiple cabins. So, okay, so the boat that we selected was a Bavaria 44, which is 46 feet overall in length. And it's a 2002. Uh, and the boat was in Slovenia uh, in, a play, in a place called Isla. And the, um, we flew into Venice, which is a two-hour drive from, from Slovenia. It always amazes me the how short the distances are 
in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Venice was a very easy place to fly into. Um, it was the cheapest place to fly into. To fly into, so we flew into there and just drove up, drove over to Isla, um, commissioned the boat, put it in the water, and um, you know at stage I had had a little bit of work done to it. I had um, there was a couple of windows that needed replacing, so we we had that replaced whilst we were in the U.S. And then there was also um, the bottom paint needed to be reapplied. So we had a couple of coats of paint applied to the to the hull. Did you do that um, yourself or did you just pay for somebody to do that? We paid for someone to do that and it was about 700 euro. Okay. So it wasn't too expensive. We could have had it... Um, now, you know, obviously maybe next time around we're going to have to... Um, polish it back or, you know, certainly sand it back and do a better job because it had been applied on top of other older paint and it wasn't a smooth job. Um, we could have paid to have that done as well, but we thought, you know, it's going to be a short season for us anyway because it's not like we're going to be sailing the entire year. Um, so we would just put the paint on and and see how it goes after, after this season. So I think we probably need to take the boat out before we start sailing next year and, and do a proper job on it. All right, um, so I'm looking, I'm on Google Earth, I'm looking for Isla, I saw, there's Venice, is it just directly across from Venice? Uh, yes, so if you go, so if you go to Slovenia, you across from Venice would be Umag on Croatia, right? But if you go up a little bit north, mm -hmm. um, you're going to see um, Slovenia and Isla is like one of their major um, marinas for certainly for cruisers. Okay. Um, okay. If you go, if you see Copper, it's too far north, and you got to go south of Copper. All right, I'll figure it out sometime. There, I'm still okay. There's the border. All right, so okay, I'll I'll figure it out. Anyway, I'm just kind of curious, yep. so it's not too far. So it was an easy. Was it? If, how did you get there? Did you rent a car? Did you get a ferry? What did you do to get over there then? Yeah, it was a bit crazy. I mean, we rented a car to get over there, and then we rented another car and took the other car back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, but, but, it, but it was the cheapest way to do it. So, yeah, that's what we did. And um, I mean, we needed a car back at where we were for, you know, just picking things up, provisioning, uh, just running around, getting small things for the boat. You know, we ended up getting some more lines and, you know, just – just little things that that you would need just having uh, just having wheels makes things so much easier too just just to be able to do things quickly instead of spending all day trying to find a cab or doing public transportation now did you just go to isla was that the one marina you went to or did you go to a couple marinas before you found the right boat oh yes no i went to a number of marinas in croatia i mean i i drove the entire croatian coast um and went to a number of marinas, and it was pretty much, you know, I, it was like a schedule planned to to almost the hour, and looked at plenty of boats. Um, so th you know, this was this was on the list, and there were two boats. One was a 2002, one was a 2003, that were being sold side by side. And you know, the 2003 somebody bought before me because they'd seen both boats, and it was probably slightly better or slightly newer at least. Um, 
but it was also in, in good condition. And I'd say I saw probably about 25% of the boats that I saw could have been a purchase. Um, it was just that when I got to this one, I, it was so much better than the others that it was a definite. And like I said, it wasn't the only one because the one next to it, which obviously sold just the week before, was exactly the same. And so, yes, yeah, so I had done I had done a lot of uh, looking in around the area of Pula in Croatia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and then a little bit more further down south, but but nothing nothing south of Split, and you know that's a fair way down there. Yeah, yeah. So you never got down to Dubrovnik looking at anything down there either, then? <clears throat> no, I didn't. No. Um, although around Dubrovnik there is a new marina that you'll have to that I'll have to tell you about. It's in Slano. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. But we can talk about that later, I guess, when we're talking about places to stop. But that's just opened up, and it was like one night f- free for every night that you stayed, so it was half price. Well, good. They definitely need more competition in marinas in uh, in Croatia. There's no question about that. So that's great to have some of that. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so putting the boat in the water was pretty easy. Uh, we f- we had a first few days, obviously, that we were there. We didn't put the boat until the second, and. So we're in a hotel room for the first two nights. But then once we got the boat in the water, <clears throat> we were pretty much on the boat and we're in the marina. So so that was um, pretty good. Putting the boat in the water was crazy. Um, the start, <laughs> so talking about little things that you replace, I checked the batteries before we put the boat in the water. I actually started the engine on land dry, but I only ran it for you know, 15 seconds, just made sure that it started easily. And this was just before getting the boat in the water. <laughs> then um, as the crane lowers the boat in the water, we get on board the boat, go to start the engine, guess what? Can't start it, the battery's flat. <laughs> <laughs> so so the next thing is the guy goes, okay, well, we'll vacate the crane area. So we'll pull the boat around to the other side of the crane area on the other side of the jetty. And, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can take as long as you want. You can go and get another battery or you can jumpstart it, whatever you want. Okay, great. And I must say that in Croatia and Slovenia, English is spoken almost everywhere. So it was very, very easy to be looking at buying a boat there and talking to people So as a side. Uh, and also dealing with, you know, any work and just communicating with people in general. So anyway, so we've got the boat in the water, can't start the engine, get it pulled around to the side. And in the process, <laughs> Julia and I are on the boat, and the um, one of the guys is going, okay, I'll just pull you along. I said, you don't want to tie that line off? Or, you know, is there anything we could do? No, no, we got it. And all of a sudden, there's a splash. And one of the guys has fallen in from because he decided to walk backwards without looking where he was going. He stepped right off the jetty into the water. <laughs> And he's got one of the lines, and then all of a sudden the weight goes all onto this other line that this other guy's holding, and of course that's not tied on, or he hasn't got to turn around anything. So you got this ten-ton boat getting pushed by not really much of a wind, but a little bit of a wind, and of course I can't start the engine, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, there's the rocks are just over there, like there's a groin that's <laughs> that's that's over there. Here we are about to launch the boat in the water and it's now about to go into the groin. So I'm thinking, all right, I better get ready to drop the anchor just in case. 
<laughs> because obviously I can do that manually and pretty easily, so it's no problem. Luckily, I didn't. This guy was holding onto the rope, and he had the last bit of line in his hands, in his two hands, and a buddy, another guy came over and helped him. <laughs> Otherwise, he was, he was going to let go of it. So, <laughs> so, And then the guy that had fallen in the water had swum back onto the platform with the other line in his hand. <laughs> And then he started pulling on the other side. So so that was like nearly, uh, it was going to be nearly the end at that point in time. But uh, we then jumped from the house bank onto the starting battery. And the, uh, the boat started and we took it over to the marina berth um, and then replaced the starting battery. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was, that was number one thing that happened in Isla. And um, after that, we were just getting ready with the boat, getting ready for the rest of the family to turn up. Um, I think we had only a few days to wait anyway. I think we had about four or five days. And they all flew again into Venice, and we went over, went over and picked them up in the hire car, um, came back to the boat, and everybody then stayed on the boat. Um, the marina in Isla was excellent, you know, great shower facilities and, and the lot, so that was all good. Um, pretty much everything on the boat was was working, so that was also good. So we decided to take the boat out and do some test sails around Isla before we exported the boat. Because, of course, once we got the export documentation ready, we would then have to go to the main port, which is in uh, Copper, and we would then have to leave the country. Like that's it. So like, you hand your documents over. You say you're leaving, and you've got to go. Yeah, like 15 minutes. Get on the boat and go. Yeah, you know, you know the drill. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we thought, okay, we we're not quite ready for that. We haven't taken the boat out, so we took the boat out a couple of times. And the first time we went out it was all great, no problems at all. Second time also good. Uh, the third time, we take everybody out for lunch. It was about a half a, well, no, maybe one nautical mile away from the marina. There was a lovely place where you could, there was a bay. You could anchor up. All the guys, you know, all the locals anchor there, and they have lunch, and they go for a swim. Uh, clear water, warm water. It was all good. Kids were having a great time. <laughs> then we get back on the boat uh, after the swim, and I say to my oldest son, Declan, who's about to turn 12, you know, how about, you know, you can, we'll get the anchor up and you can start the boat or start the motor and you can take us out. So Julia's, Julia's on the anchor. I'm sort of at the stern watching Declan help giving him guidance and so forth. He starts the boat or starts the motor and um, bring the anchor up. All's good. Anchors all the way up. And I say, okay, Declan, start to you know, give it some forward throttle. So he gives it some forward throttle and the boat starts to move slowly forward. And I said, Declan, um, go a little bit faster. And, you know, you've got plenty of room. <laughs> so he pushes the throttle forward and we're still going at a really slow pace. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. What's wrong? Okay. Are you pushed, have you pushed it forward? Are you sure you're bullying gear and so forth? So I run over to the controls. Yep. Throttle's going forward. The engine's revving up, but the boat's only moving at a snail's pace. So I'm like, okay, get it back to neutral. Julia, drop the anchor. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you spell so, Isla? Is it I S L I A? 
Um, it is spelt two different ways depending on whether you, I mean, it's I-S-O-L-A or I-Z-O-L-A. Okay. All right. Well, that's my, that's my problem. I'm trying to find it on Google Earth and I'm not having any luck. So I'm sorry. So you run back, you drop the anchor, and then what happens? Well, then I know there's something wrong, right? So it's like there's nothing wrong with the engine because that's working. Um, I thought it's either going to be a transmission problem or it's going to be a prop issue. So I put the face mask on, jump over the side, and dive under the boat, get to the prop, and sure enough, I can turn the prop whilst the boat's in gear because I actually asked for it to be put into gear, and I could spin it whilst it was in gear. It wasn't able, I wasn't able to spin it e easily, but I could spin it not without too much effort. And I thought, okay, so something's, something's broken there, and that's not a good sign at all. So anyway, then I asked him to, to start the engine and to actually put it in reverse, and I was on the side of the boat watching the prop, and you know the prop was spinning very slowly as it was getting revved up. So it was didn't seem like a transmission error because obviously the the drive was working, mm -hmm. and it, in this in this particular case it's a sail drive. Uh, so it's not a shaft; it's it's the sail drive. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I'm not familiar and with that. What? So there's no shaft. It's a. Is it like a? What is a sail drive? So educate me on that. Okay, so um, the transmission box bolts onto the end of the engine. And straight underneath the transmission, you have the drive, so that the propeller is basically under the transmission. Oh, okay. So there's like a differential that goes down to the propeller. Then is what it sounds like. Then. Correct. Yeah, it's like it's almost like a ninety-degree thing, really. Yeah. You know, the yeah. engine. Okay. The engine is driving that way and get bows transmitted straight down underneath it. Oh, okay. It sounds like so, a headache to fix then. So. Um, I didn't know what it was, but obviously, you know, we were stuck. So I phoned up um, the guys that we bought it from because they were very friendly and they, you know, said, if you have any trouble, you need any help, give us a call, we'll help you out. And, I, you know, I wasn't going to blame anybody for this because, you know, no one, we'd used the boat uh, a couple of times before and it, it was fine. So had you gone on a test sail, um, you wouldn't have, you know, there's nothing to be found that was wrong at that point in time. Um, but what had happened with this boat is that it had been sitting out of the water for 18 months. And there is, on, on this particular um, setup, there is, the prop has a rubber bushing on it. And it's a, it's a sleeve or, you know, it's, it's a bushing that is between the bit that fits onto the shaft and the propeller itself. And what it's designed to do is it's supposed to shear if there is going to be any potential of damage to the transmission. Ah, uh, okay. So, okay. So it's a sacrificial piece on purpose then. Correct. But once it sacrifices itself, it'll save, it'll save the transmission, but you'll need to replace the prop. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, and I know that a, a, quite a few outboards have a similar system, where, but they have a pin, right? They have a shear pin or right. something. Mm -hmm. And some actually have the, the rubber bit in them as well. So, you know, it's not uncommon, um, but, yeah, that's what it was. So this thing must have dried out 
or maybe it, it had you know taken the line before and got stressed and then it dried out for the last 18 months sitting out you know out of the water um, anyway, so when we took it back in the water, it was fine initially, but it didn't have much strength in it, and um, you know, it just it just went. Or maybe even we took a line. I don't know. But when I was diving, there was no line around the prop, so who knows? So did you have to haul out to fix it then, or could they fix it in the water? Well, <laughs> uh, I phoned up and I said, okay, so we've got this issue. We can't go anywhere. Can you send a tow for us from? the marina which is you know one nautical mile away basically uh and they said yeah 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 we'll get back to you and um and they phoned back 15 minutes later they go um okay just um sail the boat over to the marina and um there'll be somebody waiting for you they know that you've got no engine and they'll get you into a berth and i said okay so they want us to sail to the marina right because <laughs> yeah yeah just sail over by this stage there's like three or four other boats had decided to anchor around where we were. So instead of being on the periphery of the mooring field, we were now sort of in the middle of it. And Julia's going, they want us to sail. Do they know we have no engine? I said, yeah, well, we are a sailboat, I guess. So <laughs> we're going to sail. So anyways, so we, we briefed, briefed the crew, talked about what we're going to do because we're going to have to like pull the anchor up and get going under sail in in this mooring field <laughs> so so we do that and we've got all these guys around us just their eyes are wide open going wow these guys are really really skilled they're like they're like <laughs> sailing out <laughs> that's crazy skills because no one would do that in their right mind right right <laughs> and we're, and we're, st- we're we're there just sweating away going oh my god i hope i don't hit another boat Hope it's going to go the right way. Push the sail over. Make sure it's right. Uh, now, luckily, now, now let me ask you, yeah. Jack. Did you think about putting your dinghy overboard and using your dinghy to move the boat around? I I did think about that, um, but you know it was it was a bit choppy at that stage, and the outboard is okay, but the dinghy is had only the one season and it's really super small. Okay, so we had a we had a nine horsepower outboard, and then, you know, I didn't want to do that and not potentially be on the boat at the same time because it would have been up to me to do that. So I sort of wanted to stay on the boat. I was thinking of putting the dinghy in later when we got out of the mooring area mm-hmm. and um, actually taking it into the pen if they weren't going to supply somebody to do that with, because at least that's protected within the groin area. So, yeah, and I wasn't too sure about how much we could push the boat around based on the wind uh, compared to the power we could get from the sail. So, yeah, it did think about it, but uh, chose that we'd sort of do the sail out of the region, out of the area instead, which fortunately for us worked well. And, um, you know, I'd say there was a bit of luck involved in that, plus hopefully some good seamanship. Um <laughs> And we sailed all the way right into the marina itself, so through the through the heads um, before we came alongside um, one of the little tugs that they have, one of the zodiacs that you know the marina staff have, and um, they sort of tied up alongside and got us into back into our um, area or our pen. 
So now I'm, um, I'm looking at Google Earth and trying to visualize this. Were you east of the marina or west of the marina? Wh- which side were you on then? All right. So from memory, we were sort of south. Okay. Um, yeah, south around the little the little point there a little bit. Yes. 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 There is a lovely little. Um, actually, it's a it's a almost a cliff area with mm-hmm. only a little bit of beach running alongside. Right. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll get. Well, whilst we're talking about it as well, but uh, yeah, that's it. And um, then we got, you know, towed around to the crane, and they agreed that they would pick us up out of the water and put us back in the water at the same price because it was a 24-hour um, change. So I think it cost us 400 euro for the prop and 400 euro for the lift in and out. So it was a 800 euro expense there and then. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and that was the time. That was the time that you said there must be a story around this, because right? you and Neil were. <laughs> yeah, Neil and I were actually in Sweden when this was all happening, as I recall, or pretty close yep. to then. Yeah. 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 So that's that's what the story was. <laughs> so you know, we're we're very grateful that uh, it wasn't anything to do with transmission. That it was only the the prop that needed to be changed out. So so was the fix pretty fast? Did a mechanic get on it and, and fix it fairly quickly? Yeah, I think it took 10 minutes to take it off and about 10 minutes to put it back on and then maybe about another five minutes to paint it. So did you video it, it so next time you can do it yourself then? <laughs> I didn't video it, but it's not hard to do. I mean, I did look at it. It's It's pretty easy. So, yes, I can do it myself next time i believe right (laughs) yep so um so that was that and um we also found that the people around isla were were very friendly the guys next next to us in the marina were very helpful as well um so they said that when you leave slovenia you'll have to check out a place called grado so if you uh if you're looking at google maps and if you see where is if you went northwest you'd get to a peninsula there where you'd see a town on on the Italian coast which is called Grado. It's G R A D O. Okay. I probably ought to open Google Maps instead of Google Earth. That's probably what I need to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's easier. Yeah, at least you can see things uh, quicker that way. Yeah. yeah. Continue on with your story while I open it up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we went to um, Copper, and let's see the timings on this. Um, yeah. So we were in Isla in the marina from the second of July through till the twelfth of July, and um, and so on the 12th, we went up to Copper to do the export documentation. Copper is the main port in Slovenia. And, yeah, so we went to Copper to do the export documentation. And went, then we did a, about a four-hour sail um, over to Italy and to Grado. Now, now, Grado is in Italy and not in Slovenia then? It's in, it's in Italy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so across to Italy. And the thing about Grado was there is um, there's a canal that goes into the middle of the town. So you effectively come into the area, you 
pretty much sail right up to a little bridge or a traffic bridge. And before you get to the bridge, you, you make a sharp right and you head into this canal. And the canal goes down past all the buildings. And, you, you know, it's an amazing spot because you actually are sailing next to the cars. Well, not sailing at that stage, you're motoring because the canal's not, not, not that wide. So, you know, you're on motor, but you're going past the fishing boats, past the cars, and you sail right into the middle of the city. I'm looking at it, and yeah, it's narrow. It's really narrow, and there's not much room to maneuver once you get down to the end either. No, it's sort of like one boat at a time, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then, and then at the end, um, you know, you uh, pick up a, a boy on uh -huh. the bow and, and tie up stern too, and you know you're tied up right in the middle of the city, and you get off your boat and you're right there. Now, did you and, have to make arrangements for this ahead of time, or was this? Uh, First come, first serve, or how did that work out for you? It was first come, first served. Um, but, you know, it was the middle of July, and it was not full. Hmm. I'd say that it was 50% open. I, you tend to find that Italy was just not busy, um, but everybody was in Croatia. So so I think I think that's what happens. You know, anyone, anyone on the boat in Italy gets away from the Italian coast because it's um, it's shallow, it's green water, you know, it's you got lovely fertile land pushing all this mud into the ocean <laughs> and the yeah, the marinas are not very pretty. Um, I mean Grado is very nice. Uh, but um, they all head over to Croatia. So, you know, Croatia's full of Austrians, Germans and Italians and all the Austrians and Germans drive their cars down. Because for them it's only a four or five hour trip, in a lot of cases, and then of course the Italians just get on their boat and go straight across. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where everybody was. So Grado was an excellent place to stop if you ever have a chance to to go there. It's it's pretty cool, especially being right in the middle. Um, after Grado, we um, we headed down to a place called um, Carol, or it's spelled C A R. O L E, and that was just a pretty nice um, day, sir. So. Well, let's back, let's back up and talk about bureaucracy for a bit. Now, uh, when you bought your boat, what was the process of transferring title and everything else? How how did that go, and did you hire somebody to help you with that? Um, we didn't hire anybody to help us with that, um, but we did have. Uh, somebody that could do a search on the title of, on the boat in Croatia because it was actually Croatian registered. And we had the sale contract um, and we were dealing not with an individual, but we were actually dealing with a fairly large company in Slovenia. Um, uh, I also, at the same time, my company was dealing with companies in Slovenia and we sort of found that they tend to be pretty much uh, reliable and you know fairly down to earth stick to the rules uh, being part of the EU and all that sort of stuff so we felt fairly comfortable with that um, all the document I mean the broker English was great the owner which I did meet or the representative for the company that represented the the company that owned the boat uh, I met with him um, and obviously looked at the boat 
had the surveyor go through it and had somebody look into the title and found out that it was actually owned by this company. So felt fairly comfortable about the transfer of, of all of that and didn't find that we needed anybody to, to assist us with it. And you re-registered this in Australia then, is that right? Correct, yes. We, we did a um, provisional registration in Australia, which gave us, uh, which we could do remotely quite easily. Um, and then we had six months to complete the full registration documentation. And getting back to the cost of that, uh, we, you know, obviously Delaware was not too expensive. It might be a few hundred dollars. Um, Australia is $2,000. Okay, okay. All right. But it's a one-off. Yeah, so, one time, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so anyway, so it's Australian flagged. And, yeah, so getting back to the bureaucracy, funny you should mention that because Slovenia was fairly on the ball. You know, it was pretty simple. You didn't have to jump through any extra hoops. It was like, you know, you're exporting the boat. Mm -hmm. uh, Italy, on the other hand, <laughs> was, was totally non-existent. <laughs> I'm laughing like, because of my experience in Italy. Okay, go on. No, like, like seriously, we, we sailed into Italy, and this is what we found. In Croatia, there's no way in the world you want to go to Croatia without checking into the country properly. You right. just don't want to do it. No. I mean, you know, the Shards experienced that. Um, the Croatians will track you on AIS if you have AIS, and... It even gets more complicated because in Croatia, you've got multiple ports of entry, but you need to know which one is the closest to you as you're coming into it. So, you know, if you, if you try and check in at another port that, and you came from a particular point on the coast in Italy, and they can work out that you sailed closer to a different check-in point on one of the islands, then technically you've, you know, you're up for a penalty for doing that. You know, that's interesting because when I sailed across, uh, I'd never even heard of Sovtat as being a port of entry. But somebody said, oh, yeah, that's the place you want to go to. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go there. Originally, I had planned on going to Dubrovnik to clear in. And I just on a whim went to Sovtat, and I didn't realize that I might have been penalized had I not gone to Sovtat because that was and, the closest port. So, And you're not the only one that makes that mistake. And we've heard other people, and like 50% of them got fined and 50% of them got let off for the warning. So it's just, I guess it depends on the day as to, to who you meet at the other end. But, you know, you know, when you talk about bureaucracy and paperwork, the Croatians are sort of like cross the T's and dot the I's absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, whilst the Italians, they don't care. No, they, they just absolutely uh, don't care. You have to twist arms to get anybody to clear you in is what you have to do. Well, we, yeah, we knew that. And everybody says, well, you just go to Italy. It just doesn't matter. You just go there and you turn up. <laughs> And obviously, this is not what we did now, now that our boat is wintered in Sicily. You know, we, we did all the right things. We, you know, we, we, and it cost us half a day to do so, which was not too bad. But there's no way that you could go to Grado and check in. You just couldn't do it. You'd have to go somewhere else. You'd probably have to go to Venice. Now, why did um, you have to go to Grado? Was there a specific reason you had to go to Grado? No, we just wanted to go there. Oh, okay, because, okay, know, okay. Yeah, we, I mean, you know, what we heard about it and, and the coolness. The okay, cool I, thought, I thought you had to go when you cleared out, that's where you had to go. But there was no reason. You just had to get out of the country and go to some other country then, right? 
Yes, correct. I mean, technically, we're supposed to leave Slovenia and sail to Montenegro to export the boat. But, you know, no way that we're going to do that as our first first big sail on the boat. Grada was great because it was only, you know, four, to four or five hours to get there. And, uh, you know, every one that we did after that going down the Italian coast was, was the same. But, no, you know, we... We put up the Italian courtesy flag, got into Grado, and the guide didn't ask for anything at the dock. You know, it was like, uh, 50 euro, please. Here's your receipt. Thanks. <laughs> that was it. Welcome to Italy. <laughs> it's like, that was it. Um, and the guys in Carol uh, were the same. It was, they wanted to have the boat documents. Um, which was, you know, the, the fact that the boat was registered, the registration paper for the boat, and they wanted my passport. And, again, the only reason they held that was, I'm sure, for their own insurance purposes and to make sure that you paid before you left. There was no, there was nothing else, you know, that they were interested in. They don't care where you came from, how long you're staying, or anything. Now, I'm looking at um, Carol, and it looks like you come out and you turn in and you go way in beyond the beach and come back behind the city to a marina back behind the beach in the city. Is that right? Yes, yes. That is totally weird. You actually come in and you think you, another canal, really, and you're sailing all the way in through this real, fairly narrow canal, and uh, you know the water depth is about between two and a half to three meters in most of it, so that was all right. And, yeah, this, this marina is way behind the city. Um, so it's it's just another weird experience. But again, close, you know, relatively close to the city, walking distance to the city, but similar to Gradra, you know, it's right next to the city and it's a decent-sized marina, fairly modern. Um, no complaints about it. It was really good, but really weird. You know, I'd never had to go that far inland to get into a marina. Yeah, wow. Looks pretty interesting, though. Looks like a pretty cool place. Looks like there's a park around the marina and it's uh, looking nice yeah yeah no it was it was good it was definitely good now did you um, uh did you hop all the way down the italian coast or did did you go down the croatian coast or when did you hop back over to croatia then well after our next stop so the the whole idea was that we wanted to be able to sail into venice so, ah okay okay so we did that so we um after carol we went to Venice and we sailed the boat right up to the edge of the Grand Canal, which obviously you can't enter, mm -hmm. but, but you can go all the way up to St. Mark's Square. And at St. Mark's Square, we turned around and um, went back to the marina that we were staying at. Uh, again, we thought that, you know, it'd be pretty busy and we'd have to book it, but uh, it was half empty as well. And the, the marina that we were staying at is... Santa Elena, Marina Santa Elena. Okay, I'm looking for it here. So if you actually look at Venice proper, mm -hmm. the, right, it's right on the edge. Um, it's on the eastern part. Okay, around the whole island then. Um, if um, you sort of zoom in, you if you're on Google Maps, you can zoom in and you'll see it. Santa Elena there is actually a church and everything else there, and they put a marina right there. So it's connected to, you know, the most interesting part of Venice, which is the old town and so forth, but it's a decent walk. Okay, okay. 
I'll figure it out so, as we go on. So don't stop and wait for me to find it here. I'll just be zooming around while you're talking here. Yeah, so Marina Santa Elena. E-L-A-N-A. Okay. L. Um, so the, let's see, what do we do? Um, we were in, we were in Venice for one, two, three, four nights. Yeah. So in Venice for four nights. Um, and just the sheer experience of, you know, coming into Venice, uh, on your own boat, like I said, sailing, sailing up just to next to St. Mark's Square, and, uh, you know, right next to where the palace is. Yeah, you sort of feel like James Bond, Quantum <laughs> of Solace. No. <laughs> no, but he went all the way into the, um, well, in that movie, they went all the way into the Grand Canal, which obviously you can't do. But uh, but that was awesome, and it was just absolutely crazy. There's so much traffic on that water, and there are no road rules. You know, all that time in your ASA courses, you talk about rules of the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, these guys have never heard of those. <laughs> like, it doesn't exist. There's only one rule, and that is avoid. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only way there is. Because, um, and this, the direction and the speeds, I mean, the only thing that you can sort of determine as to which way they were going was the, the water buses. Um, so the water buses were the only ones that you could sort of go, okay, you know, they're going in that direction. But the taxi, the water taxis and the smaller boats and the gondolas, they were just all over the place. So, you know, Julia was just absolutely freaking out <laughs> after a while. She sort of forgot about the traffic and was enjoying the view. So, um, and yeah, and we, we did a slow-mo video that we stuck up on, on our Facebook page of that. Um, send me a link to that and I'll put it in the show notes if you will Jack yeah yeah okay no problem um, and we the four nights were great in Venice because you could just it was a 20 minute walk from the marina to um, you know the main part or St. Mark's Square and then all the rest of Venice and whilst it was an expensive marina to stay in because it was costing us um, so for, uh, I think it was 120 euro a night. But if you compare that to what accommodation in Venice is like for seven people, which we had seven on the boat at that time, the five, you know, three kids, two of Julia and I and, and her parents. When you compare the cost of that to regular accommodation in Venice, it's so cheap. Like staying on the boat, even at the most expensive marina prices are so much cheaper than any hotel you can get there. Um, and it's just a beautiful city, and we really in, enjoyed being there. So, we, you know, we stayed there as long as we, we could. Um, Julia's parents left us in Venice. They flew back to Ireland. And so then it was just Julia and, and I and the kids. And after Venice, we um, decided to go to Croatia. So we had our first – oh, it's not our first, but I guess, you know, the further south you go – the greater the distances are when you start crossing from Italy to Croatia. So, uh, you know, the first crossing from Copper to Grado, well, you know, that was four or so hours. By the time we were in Venice and we were crossing over to Umag, um, that was going to take about 10 hours. 
So I think it was 10 hours. So we were able, again, we we're able to do this during the daytime and <clears throat> there was no wind. We got, so getting back to sailing, uh, we got the ability, got the ability to sail from Copper to Grada. So that was good. And from Grada to Carol, we did mostly motoring. Then from Carol to Venice, we did 50-50 sailing and then motoring. Uh, <clears throat> from Venice to Umag, which is our biggest trip so far, was purely just all motoring. Yeah, so <clears throat> we were motoring at about six knots and took us about um, 10 hours to get across. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question on the kind of engine you've got on the boat. Sure. Um, it's a Volvo um, D255. It's a 55 horsepower okay. Volvo. And it's a Volvo Penta, the arrangement with the sail drive. Okay. All right. Um, I think it's, you know, based on what I heard as far as the power rating goes for what you should have for that size boat, for a 10, <clears throat> for a 10 ton sailboat, it's um, probably about five horsepowers more than what is recommend, recommended. But, um, it's good. I mean, we can, when the hull is clean, um, we can probably get nine knots out of it. So I'm, Okay, uh, so we're going from Venice. Now you're hopping over to Croatia then. Yes, so we're getting into Croatia. So we made sure <clears throat> that we'd be able to check in at Umag, which you can, and there is a, oh, there is a marine. Is. So you're actually there almost heading north then at that point in time, north northeast then, aren't you? Yeah, although when you come out of Venice, it's... Yeah, it's pretty much straight across. Okay. It's the, certainly the closest point to check in at. And um, great marina at Umag. Again, not cheap. Uh, it's an ACI marina, uh, and the check-in location was right on the on the tip there. They, were, they had the police and customs together, and, of course, you end up coming in, you, you see the police guy, and you tell him, you know, you're coming in for X period of time. He does the passport, so then you have to go across to the uh, the Port Authority representative, and they take the money for your sailing permit. Uh, and of course, they would only take cash, so then they had to like run over to the ATM because it's not like Croatia takes euros, right? So you're not going to have kuna in your pocket when you land in Croatia. One, so so hold on, so they haven't adopted the euro yet, then? Nope. Okay, because they became part of the EU, but they didn't adopt the euro then. Okay. Yeah, they did not. And But the other good thing about that is that they're not part of Schengen either. So um, I know that a lot of people coming from America going across to Europe for the sailing season, the Mediterranean, have the same issue with um, the Schengen region. And, of course, you look at Greece, Italy, um, Slovenia, um, Spain, you know, they're all part of Schengen. So under that situation, you've only got three months personally, um, if, you know, unless you have a visa of some other type of visa for Europe, which is pretty much non-existent, then <clears throat> you've got three months in the Schengen area, which is crazy because the amount of countries you're talking about that are under that one Schengen agreement, which is like free border crossings, um, to only spend three months in them, is is so short i mean you know even if you're turning up as a tourist how are you going to see germany france spain italy in three months you know it's yeah. very difficult yeah. <laughs> like, i mean a lot of people only go out for a, for a week or two so for them it doesn't really matter right but you know it's 
crazy to think that you could go as an American citizen, you can go to Australia and you've got three months there. As an Australian citizen, you can go to the US without any visa and you've got three months there. Um, but yeah, Schengen, any country that's part of Schengen, you, know, you have three months. And that three months is in any one, in any six month period. So having the ability to spend time in Croatia and not in Schengen was a benefit because it meant that, you know, when we went to Italy, we would have time in Italy um, when we were officially stamped in this time. <laughs> we, would, we would have our three months in Italy, uh, even though we, you know, we were in the EU because Italy's part of Schengen, Croatia is not. All right, hold on. We've got about an hour and six minutes right now. I'm going to stop the recording, and we're going to continue talking and get a second, uh, a second episode out of this. So hold on, Jack. All right, that's going to finish up this episode. You may have noticed that I've changed the intro to the podcast and the name of the podcast. I've changed it from Sailing in the Mediterranean to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond. And this was a suggestion from one of my listeners when I talked a few episodes about changing the name of the podcast. I thought that made the most sense since I still have a heavy concentration of information related to the Mediterranean. But with interviews such as with Rory McDougall, where we're really talking about sailing around the world, well, that's beyond the Mediterranean. So I wanted to be able to include other topics of my particular interest in the podcast. So I can't remember exactly what listener it was that wrote in and suggested that, but thank you so much for that. Also, two other listeners did go in and write reviews for the podcast, and that <laughs> prompted me uh, because I've had a few complaints about the clanging gate in the past uh, to uh, to eliminate the gla the gate closing at the beginning of the podcast and so you've noticed i've changed the intro to the podcast to eliminate that apparently a lot of people or at least two people that i know of did not like that and where two people are complaining i assume there's other people that don't like the clanging of the gate so if you want to do me a favor go in and write a review for the podcast in whatever directory you subscribe to podcasts in if you have thoughts for future shows or episodes, drop me an email, franz1 at medsailor.com, and get out there and go sailing. Thanks for listening. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe? What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You've made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? <laughs>